my uh, wife and I have probably watched every episode of Doc Martin at least three times. And uh, I guess his last season is on now there. But uh, at any rate, uh, a lot about London to love. I remember years ago, I, I have this coffee cup here. And uh, years ago, I had friends in Boston that had these uh, bone china uh, British coffee cups. And they uh, have pictures of houses and countryside and all of that. And I, I fell in love with the cups. They're, they're thin, so they don't cool down your coffee quickly. So I decided I have to have some and I couldn't find any in Boston. So I said, okay, the next time I'm in Heathrow, uh, I'll buy some there. And uh, I went in and uh, priced them and walked out. I said, I will not pay that much money. But then I started thinking, well, uh, put it on a credit card. I'll get it paid off. I'll forget how much they cost. And so that's what I did. So I've had these for well over 20 years and they're still my favorite. So uh, uh, I'm always thinking about Britain in one way or the other. So the life of a sage, of course, that's a plant that they make an herb out of and uh, flavor food with, but uh, that's not quite the message today. A sage, according to the dictionary, uh, is defined as someone wise through reflection and experience. And uh, I hope that uh, age does make us that. I'm 79 now, so uh, hopefully I've gained some things in there. Many years ago, I started off as a school teacher, and uh, someone pointed out very wisely that you have some teachers with 30 years experience, and then you have some teachers with a year's experience 30 times repeated. And uh, that can be the same in life. I know a lot of old people that uh, I don't think are all that uh, smart uh, or are wise. They haven't learned from their experiences, but hopefully we all are. I do want to begin by recommending a book entitled An Aging Grace. Uh, it's a book that a good friend of mine in Boston, Jeannie Shaw, put together some years back, and it covers every aspect of aging. Uh, you can talk about retirement, you can talk about health, you can talk about sex, you can talk about whatever it is covered in that book, and there are some quite hilarious places in the book. When Jeannie contacted me about uh, writing two chapters in the book, including the very last one, one of the first ones, and then the last one, uh, I was going through a difficult period. Uh, I've never liked the idea of aging. And uh, I also am a hypochondriac, and so I can develop symptoms of diseases very, very quickly. Uh, I have to watch what I read. And usually I only have one symptom at a time. But uh, when she contacted me, uh, I had about three going at one time. I mean, it was just a weird time. We had just moved to Dallas and uh, Texas, where we live now. And uh, so I, I just, I don't do transitions well, and nothing was going well. And so the title of the chapter she gave me was An Aging Grace, How Sweet the Sound, with a question mark, uh, and The Best is Yet to Be, the last chapter in the book. And I thought, good grief. I mean, here I am with all of these symptoms and in a real stew emotionally. And she wants me to talk about aging and death. 
she said that wasn't really quite the idea, but to me, that was the idea of those two chapters. So uh, aging has been a very interesting experience. God's allowed me to do it. He's allowed me to live this long, uh, but I've never liked the idea of being old. And I still am not all of that fond of it. But the Bible does say a lot about the positives involved in it. Uh, the wisdom literature in the Bible, which is just common sense for the most part, uh, does say a lot about it. Gray hair is a crown of splendor. It is attained by a righteous life. In his hand, the life of every creature and the breath of all mankind, or in his hand lies, or is. Does not the ear test words, the tongue tastes food? Is not wisdom found among the aged? Does not long life bring understanding? And it's designed to do that, and I think for the most part it does. Of course, all of us feel sort of like Psalm 71 says, do not cast me away when I am old. Do not forsake me when my strength is gone. And at various times in my life, I have felt sort of like an old horse put out to pasture. And I wondered, does my life matter anymore? Am I still relevant? Uh, all of us will go through that at stages as we age. It's just natural. You get through it, keep breathing, and you will get through it. But uh, there's so much of a positive note about being older. I love this one in Psalm 37. I was young and now I am old, yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. And uh, I will say, as I compare my life to that of my relatives who are contemporaries with me, as I watch them grow up, everybody was happy and having fun when they were young. But now as I look at the uh, their lives, if they're still alive, uh, many of them have taken a very different route than I have. And I think the difference is I figured out God had better be in the equation. I did not start that way. I didn't want God in the equation, but uh, at some point I sort of figured it out that he had better be in there. So my question is always, you know, life's meaning. What is it about? Why are we on this earth? And it all boils down to this one simple concept, and that is it's about relationships. The Bible is all about relationships. My life, practically speaking, uh, really, that's about all that matters. At my age, uh, the things that once mattered don't matter a bit. Uh, I don't care what kind of place I live in, what kind of vehicle I drive, what, uh, you know, I wear. I mean, there's so many things that people <clears throat> get caught up in that I just don't care about. So it's about relationships. And it seems to me there are four categories uh, that pretty much contain life in them. And it is us and God to begin with. And I understand there's some on this uh Zoom call here that may not be into churchy type stuff or the Bible. I understand that. Uh, I hated church when I was young. I still have issues with church, even, <laughs> even though I am old, tell you the truth. I, I would like to see things improve. But uh, be that as it may, uh, the whole God thing is pretty big, right? 
I remember when I was training for ministry years ago and sitting in a class. I remember where I was sitting. I remember the teacher. I don't remember his name, but I remember the teacher and where he was standing and what he was saying. But we were going through the book of 2 Corinthians. And I saw this passage and it grabbed me because I thought, wow, there's the answer. There's life right there. I was a fairly young guy at the time in my 20s, but I read that and uh, never got over it. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart. Well, all of us are looking for a way not to do that, right? And during COVID, I'm telling you, this has not been an easy task. But he said, we do not lose heart. And then he tells us how not to lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Well, even as a young guy, uh, the old guys told me, hey, son, you're young now, but you're going to be old quickly. You have no idea how fast this thing is going to go by, and I actually believed them. Maybe that's one reason I never liked the concept of aging, because I knew it was going to get here a lot quicker than I wanted it to. But he says, inwardly, there's an inside part of us that can be renewed uh, on a daily basis. So I thought, wow, what a beautiful concept. And then he said, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And here's a man, Paul, who wrote this, who had been through all kinds of challenges, and yet he said his troubles were really light. Uh, compared to eternity, and they're momentary. And pretty much that is true. I'm not sure what I was worried about a year ago. I'm sure I don't know what I was worried about 10 years ago on this date. Uh, the, all those things were momentary. They seemed big at the time, but they go by. And uh, we've got to learn to look at our challenges in that way, in a different way. And so he said, Finally, the last verse of that particular chapter, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, the spiritual world, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. That became my favorite verse. I have uh, said that to many people who were departing this life in my last conversation with them. It just uh, kind of sums up life to me. It goes by quickly, so you better get your inside straightened out. You need to learn to look with right perspective at the challenges in life, the troubles, and then keep focused on the things that are going to outlast this life. Uh, years ago, I wrote an article entitled, Is This All There Is? You know, I've asked that question a number of times. I remember asking it when I was 25 years old. Uh, I was, uh, I had graduated college. I was uh, in my career. I was uh, married to a beautiful woman. I had a cute little blonde, blue-eyed boy. Uh, I was actually at that moment when the question dawned on me, I was actually uh, fishing. My dad and I had bought a camp on a lake, not a elaborate camp, but at least you could sleep in it. And uh, we had a pier going out into the water. I had a turquoise uh, fishing boat. 
I had been fishing that morning, caught the limit of the type of fish we were after, and it was just a gorgeous day. And I was standing on the end of my pier with my boat, with my camp, 25 years old. Everything was awesome. You, could, you couldn't have asked for more from a worldly standpoint. And I was looking out at a beautiful cypress uh, tree covered lake on a very calm, beautiful day and uh, just uh, rejoicing to be alive. And then all of a sudden that question came, is this all there is to life? Uh, that was disturbing. That sort of got me thinking more about spiritual things for sure. But I've continued to ask the question. When I wrote that particular article 20 years ago, I was going through something. And uh, the one thing that I had right in the article, I said, you know, one day, Gordon, uh, it's going to boil down to you and God. And the last part of your life, the thing that you're going to think about most is you and God, because you're going to get ready to meet him. And uh, I had that. I was troubled about something when I wrote the article, but I had that part right. And now I can promise you that is exactly where I am. Uh, how we look at God determine, and how we think he looks at us determines our relationship with him. And I know that given the way I was raised, my view of God was so distorted in this little legalistic uh, church that I went to that it's taken me years to get out of that mindset. And so, uh, oh, by the way, if you have questions, if we get to a question answer session, I'm a long-winded bloke, but if we do, uh, if you'll put them uh, in, a, in a chat question, then the uh, moderator can provide the ones that she thinks is, are most important for me to try to answer. Uh, but we must trust God with what I call the end game, the last part of our life. Psalm 139, 16 says, all the days ordained for me were written in his book before one of them came to be. Uh, that's a striking thought. God knows exactly when it's going to end, how it's going to end, etc. And I've got to trust him with that. Now, I've got to trust him right now more than I ever have, not only because I'm old, but uh, last summer, I had a couple of surgeries. The first one found some cancer. The second one, they thought they got it all out. But uh, a few days ago, I think it was Wednesday, four days ago, uh, after a test of some samples that were scraped uh, out of my uh, uh, disease place, the, the doctor called me and she said, well, unfortunately, the cancer is back. And so from that point, she started talking about treatment and she has me in touch with two different uh, kinds of oncologists, which I will be seeing. But the day that she uh, first told me that last summer is that they had found cancer. Uh, I was very surrendered about it all. I wrote a book called The Victory of Surrender many years ago. I was very surrendered. And I said, well, Doc, I said, we all have a shelf life. And I have gotten old 
Uh, I've been able to do a lot of things in my life. I'm very grateful. And so if my shelf life is about done, uh, that'll be fine. But uh, you tell me what to do from here. You know, it was interesting last Sunday, my wife and I and our grandson, who's 20, uh, were talking after hearing a very good lesson in a virtual service. Uh, we did a virtual service last Sunday, watched one. But we're having a discussion about the uh, lesson. And I had two thoughts about the cancer thing. I thought, well, maybe I need it. I've heard many people with different diseases say that they were grateful for it because it did something to their lives spiritually that nothing else had done. And I remembered the Psalm, it was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. Maybe there are other things God wants me to learn or learn more deeply. So I thought of that. And then I thought of the fact that others may need my example and influence, and I might have an influence now uh, that uh, I didn't have when I was in a healthy state. So whatever it is, uh, life has taken a turn that uh, I didn't expect at this time, but you know, you have to live with that. That's what it is to be a sage. You learn to look at life and you learn to look at death and you figure out, okay, we do have a shelf life. If it's my time, then it's my time. And we have to learn to process, process that with God in his view. Now, I think most of you on the call are uh, into uh, the spiritual side of things biblically. And I think about what helps me grow in my relationship with God. And I feel like I am growing and have grown. I feel like 2021 actually was a very good year in my growth with God, my relationship with him. But prayers of all types. I've been a guy that does prayer walking for years. Now, I do a whole lot of walking, actually, but more for health and uh, conditioning. But uh, at any rate, I, I write my prayers out on the computer. I write so much on the computer, it, you know, my thoughts come out my fingers uh, better than out my mouth, to be honest. And so uh, I start off the mornings writing out my prayers to God. And I found that has been great, the journaling approach. My wife's done it for years. I resisted it for years. I did prayer walks. They were very helpful. And uh, so anyway, Bible reading, I just finished reading the whole Bible last year in 2021. And uh, I use a thing called One Year Bible, which gives you some Old Testament, New Testament, Psalms and Proverbs every day. I like that approach. So it gives you something of a balanced uh, reading of the Bible. So I finished that up uh, a few days ago. I do read books, probably not as many as I should, but I definitely read books. I told someone once when I was in a real writing mode that I probably was uh, writing more books than I was re reading, which uh, uh, might have been true that year. Spiritual music. Uh, I, I've got all kinds of music that I listen to uh, on my earphones many times when I'm reading something else. I just listen to the spiritual music. So I get into I'm into Lauren Daigle's stuff right now. And so I listen to her quite a lot, but I have 
a lot of music uh, on my computer that I listen to while I am working or just wanting to kick back and, and listen. Of course, relationships, I'll say more about that one later, but relationships are huge with other people. And then spiritual input. I need input from people. Uh, I'm limited. I see some things. I'm sure I don't see other things, but all of those help me in my relationship with God. But believe me, as you get older, that one is going to be on your mind, or it should be uh, more than ever, perhaps, in your life. Then I think about uh, another area of relationships, and that is us and our family. Uh, Psalm 71, since my youth, O God, you have taught me, and to this day I declare your marvelous deeds. Even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, O God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your might to all who are to come. I lived in Boston, Teresa and I did for 16 years. Near the end of that, we had uh, lunch with the family. They were older, not as old as us, but older. And they knew that we had five grandchildren and they said, you need to get around your grandchildren. You need to move. And I thought that's a crazy idea. We're so entrenched in Boston, how could we possibly leave? And uh, we almost had a heated conversation, actually, but it did get Teresa and me thinking. And so we ended up moving uh, some months after that to uh, Arizona to be around our daughter and her family. And we lived there for nine years, then a couple of years in California again. And then uh, our son, after 25 years in Hawaii, where he graduated college and uh, got married and had his three boys and spent uh, a big chunk of his life, he, he decided to move to the Dallas, Texas area. And so when they moved, he said, Dad, you need to be around the boys before they're completely grown. I said, okay. And so we moved to the Dallas area. Actually, we've lived here four times. So you can interpret that any way you want to. We can't wait to get here. We can't wait to leave. Either one will work. But uh, now we are uh, very close to where our son and his family live. And so we've gotten to be around the boys in their teen years. The oldest is now 23 and out of college. Uh, the middle one is in college and the younger one's still in high school. But uh, we took it seriously that we needed to be around our family, uh, around our grandkids and pass on our faith to them. But one thing I've learned, and I deal with a fair amount of young people. I talk to young people a lot. Uh, we have a lot of young people that are not very happy with church. They're not very happy with uh, parents thinking and older people's thinking and all of that. And one thing that I try to resist, and that is becoming inflexible. Uh, I, I've just found it so easy for people to be either or. And I have for a number of years become more and more both and. You know, there's truth on both sides of it. Let me take a look. Let me not be so hard headed. And so our, mind, our bodies may not be very flexible. Mine certainly isn't. 
And when I'm out on my fast walks for exercise, you know, I look uh, like I am in great shape and young. When I am sitting in a recliner for a couple of hours watching a football game or whatever, and I get up and walk across the room, the first 10 steps, I look like I'm 100 or so. Uh, so we don't have flexibility in our bodies, but we've got to keep our minds flexible. Here's a good verse from Ecclesiastes. Do not be over-righteous, neither be over-wise. Why destroy yourself? Do not be over-wicked. Do not be a fool. Why die before your time? It is good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. Whoever fears God will avoid all extremes. Wisdom makes one wise person more powerful than 10 leaders in a city. And so it's that flexibility with the younger generation that will cause them to listen to you. I read a book or saw the title of a book one time, How to Speak So People Will Listen and How to Listen So People Will Speak. Learning to listen entertain new ideas. Uh, I, I've studied the Bible a lot, Bible subjects a lot, but I'm still changing. Uh, I've gotten much more my progressive in the last several years in my view of what women can do in the church. Uh, I have upset a number of older friends. Young people love me, but uh, on that subject at least, but older people, uh, I have gotten some pretty upset because I am much more progressive. I've looked at the Bible, I think, in a, a more careful way to get to that progressiveness. But nonetheless, we've got to keep growing and changing and being open to change if we're going to influence the younger generation and our family and our grandkids especially. Uh, when I was young, there were some older guys, and I was, became a minister. I didn't start that way. I started off, actually, in uh, the field of education. I was a musician and taught music. But um, after I got into the ministry, a lot of the older guys sort of looked down on me and talked down to me. And uh, I, I thought to myself, these old guys, what do they know anyway? <laughs> I was a typical young guy, you know, but I said, I know one thing, when I get old, I will not look at young people like that and treat them like that. I will not do that. And I think I've kept that vow. Uh, my main goals with our grandkids and other young people that I'm trying to influence are really three things. Relationship is one. I just want to have a relationship with them. Uh, I, I'm, I'm the granddad but I, I want to have just a personal relationship, friend to friend with them. Uh, it was interesting. Our middle grandson in Dallas uh, is in college, uh, going to a nearby college. And he uh, asked me one day, he said, uh, Dad, uh, Pop Pop, he said, uh, I'd like to move in with you and Mama Teresa. Can I, can I move in with you? And I said, well, are you having trouble with your, your family, your parents? He said, no. But he said, I always wanted to live uh, somewhere else besides home when I started college. And I'm going to a local college. 
I tried to move in with uh, some other campus guys and that didn't work out. So he said, I'd, I'd like to move in with you. So I said, okay, let me talk to your mom and dad, make sure they're okay with it. And they were. And so I said, when do you want to move in? He said, today. <laughs> and so he, I said, well, we've got uh, two rooms and a bathroom that you can have. I said, we're not going to be your parents. You're 20 years old. You figure out what you're going to do. Don't mess up. But here's a key. You come and go as you want to. And uh, we are not going to micromanage you in the least. And we don't and we haven't. But that's because of a relationship. There are a lot of young people wouldn't want to live with their grandparents. My grandkids think we're cool. Uh, they know that we have a personal relationship with them. We do things together. And then I think about pur purposeful teaching. If I'm going to pass on what is important to me, both in the practical sense and the biblical sense, I've got to talk. My wife is great getting appointments with the uh, kids, even if we're out of town or something. She'll get on the phone or FaceTime or whatever and talk with them. We've got to uh, have times to teach and pass on. And then, uh, so we, we do a lot of that, but a lot of it's the practical stuff, just life stuff. Here's how to look at it. Here, here's what choices mean. Here's where they lead. They develop your character, the choices you make. Every one of them will affect in some way your character, but they're flat out going to affect your future and who you end up being. And so if you're going to be comfortable living with who you become, you better learn to make good choices. And here's how to do that. And so, you know, a lot of sharing, not lecturing, just talking back and forth, but a lot of that. And then I think the power of example is a huge one. And uh, our grandkids right now are particularly watching me. They know I've got cancer and they're watching me, you know, Pop, Pop, how you doing? How you feeling? I said, I'm feeling fine. Uh, you know, I don't know what the ride's going to be like from this point, but uh, we'll take it as it comes and trust God in the process. And so the power of our example and what we stand for is a huge thing. Uh oh, went the wrong way. Now, I want to talk about us in the church. Uh, I've always talked about church, you know, and what I saw that was good and not. Uh, what drew me to this family of churches that I'm presently in, uh, I became a part of a church, you know, like I'm in now, at least in a general sense, back in 1985. But the thing that really drew me in was relationships. I saw this church with relationships where people were really involved in each other's lives. They helped each other. They were open and honest and vulnerable about what they were facing. And uh, someone said that uh, we lie more at church than any other time, which uh, I think is true. You know, you see somebody at church, you greet them and how are you doing today? And they say, fine, or we're all fine. And they may have had a blow up on the way to church with their mate. You, you never know. But uh, uh, I, I was drawn to a church where there were real relationships. Uh, through a period of time, uh, it became different. Uh, it became uh, 
there was a leadership style. I've written two books on leadership, co-authored one and then wrote a longer one later. Uh, but leadership is uh, a concern for me right now. It always has been. I've spoken about it. I've spoken about it in times uh, that I came to London. But I said our movement uh, in time historically became sort of like a barbell. You had some really big weights at one end representing some amazingly good things that God blessed us to be able to do. And on the other end, you had an equally large uh, group of weights there that represented the bad things. Now, truthfully, most of the bad things were actually good things done in wrong ways. That's a whole nother subject there. But uh, we, we did go through some challenging times. I think we are personally in a challenging time right now. I don't know what it's uh, like in your country or city where you live, but I know for, for me, what I see is that a lot of people uh, have just kind of settled down and all they want is a nice little comfortable church to go to on Sunday. And now that we got COVID, uh, and have done a lot of virtual services, it's even more comfortable. You can get out of bed in your pajamas and not click the video part of Zoom on and be a part of a group or whatever you want to do. But uh, my question is, what's it going to look like after COVID is over, if it ever gets over? There are days I think it probably won't in my life uh, time, but hopefully it will. But what are we as individuals going to look like? When I first came into this family of churches, uh, it was wonderful. I mean, people were together. They were doing things together. They were helping other people come to know Jesus. They were happy. Uh, it was incredible. Actually, it was in San Diego, California. And the people that were there back then are still talking about it. They asked me to speak on a singles um, conference uh, last year, 2020 maybe, uh, and, and it was this group from the mid-1980s in San Diego, and they wanted to get together because to them that period of time was so special. It was amazing, and I have missed that and missed that a lot in the intervening years because it is not like it once was. Roger Lamb, uh, who has uh, been around for as long as I have, almost on earth, but he's been involved in this uh, family of churches a bit longer than I, but he wrote an article back in 2005 that he just reprinted, but I thought it was really good. I said, I'm going to quote a little of this. He said, those of us who have been disciples for a while have a decision to make. Our churches need to get our zeal back with a more mature understanding. Our young people need to see some radical biblical faith and zeal. Are we going to be the grumpy old Christian that the campus minister has to explain to the young zealous disciple who is trying to reconcile his newfound faith with our grumpiness? Are we going to be the old zealous? Are we going to be the old zealous disciple with faith refined by fire and wisdom matured from a life full of choices to rejoice in the Lord always. Which one do you think gives that young disciple hope about his future 
and hope for the world to be saved. How about repeating a vow with me? No matter what age you are, I will never become a grumpy old Christian. You know, in life, there's a, a song in uh, Les Miserables, the, uh, uh, the opera or whatever that is. Anyway, it's uh, Fontaine, I think, is the singer. But at the end of it, she uh, ends with a line that says, life has killed the dream I dream. Wow, that's a great song, beautiful song, heartbreaking because her life uh, ended up hell on earth in her estimation and words, but life has killed the dream I dream. And I think a lot of older people that are pessimistic and negative are that way because they've lost their dream. They have nothing to keep them really excited about life. And uh, so we've got to ask ourselves, you know, what are we going to be like? And uh, what do we want our churches to be like? And what are we going to do to try to infect our young people with a zeal that we still have? That is the question. The sovereign Lord has given me an instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen like uh, one being taught. The sovereign Lord has opened my ears and I have not been rebellious. I have not drawn back. And uh, that last parts, I, I want that to be me. I don't want to draw back. And so what I do may be different, but by comparison, uh, much less maybe, but I don't want to draw back. I want to stay involved, and I'm doing that every day of my life, as is my wife. We may have to call people on the phone to have conversations, but we're doing that. We're staying involved in every way we can, and for me, I'm on Zoom calls, doing lessons or doing podcasts or interviews or whatever else. Finally, the last area of relationship is us in the world. The world's lost their way. Uh, they still need Jesus, and so I'm still thinking about how to affect people. Uh, I wrote a letter as a young minister to 60-some people. Uh, I, I got it typed up and printed and copied back in the day with the uh, materials to do that that we had at the time, and uh, I mailed it out to people I taught school with, principals, uh, teachers, family, friends. Uh, I, I was preaching at a church for a special series, and I got a ton of them to come. And uh, I was very honest with them about the whole thing of being right with God. I wrote a book uh, not last year. I guess it was 2020 now. We're in a new year. But the uh, shortest book I ever wrote, God, Are We Good? And it deals with the way people look at meeting God uh, and, and why they think they're okay. And I just examine that biblically and look at it from about three different vantage points. But I mail that book out along with letters 
to many of my relatives, friends that I don't get to see in person. I followed it up with another letter later. I mean, I'm still trying to reach out to people and to help people because eternity is coming pretty quickly. And ultimately, I don't think any, anything else matters much. The quote in my Bible, I heard once, I, I've written it in the front of every Bible that I own, never give up your life for anything that death can take away. The only thing death doesn't take away is your relationship with God and others whom you've helped to have a relationship with God. So I understand it's easy to become discouraged in this world we live in right now for many reasons, but especially as we get older, we can't do what we once did. I was talking to one woman who wasn't all that old in my estimation, not from my vantage point, but she said, I mourn my youth. And I understand exactly what she's saying because aging demands that we cross off activities that we can no longer do. And I am telling you that is a painful process. Uh, I appreciate what I've done in the past. I've, Heard from a lot of people recently after the cancer diagnosis. But uh, Hebrews said, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you've shown him as you've helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end in order to make your hope sure. So our past work matters to God. It matters to others. But maybe finishing strong matters the most. And so the quote Paul had about fighting the good fight, finishing the faith, keeping or finishing the race and keeping the faith, <clears throat> that is certainly my intention. And I may not have long before uh, somebody can say that about me and I pray that they'll be able to do that. Okay, we've got a few minutes for questions and answers.